This morning began a three-week series, three pillars of the faith, three things that I would say I believe are essential to our faith, essential to us living this life that God has called us to, and essential to not only living, but flourishing in this life. It's an awesome opportunity to think about this first one this morning. This one here is the one that tops them all. This one here is the one that if we don't get this one or have this one, then the other ones aren't near as important to us. But Jesus is the hope of the world. And if you start there, you end there, and you stay there, every trial, every trouble, every tribulation that you will face, Jesus will get you through that. One of my hopes is this, is for me to be a hope dealer. Uh, We have a lot of drug dealers, and I want to be a hope dealer. I want to take Jesus to the nations. When we go on mission trip teams here from Grace Community, we send out people on our teams. Every team is unique, and Pastor Charlie talked about one that soon will be forming in October to go to the Dominican Republic. Praise God for that. But it's not the people that go that are important because we can't do anything for people that will ultimately bring them hope and salvation. It's Jesus going through us and with us. On all of our trips, when we go, one of our primary responsibilities is to take the hope of Christ to people. And one of the things that I do on the teams that I lead is encourage people to have conversations along the way, pointing people to Jesus Christ. On one trip that I went on in Thailand many years ago, I've done it many times since and have had this conversation But in the early days in Thailand, we would go to the black market at nighttime, and then we would go shopping, and in shopping, we would have conversation with all the shop owners. So if you've ever been on one of the trips to Asia's Hope, just picture, if you can, 500 small huts along the way, wrapped in plastic, selling you everything under the sun. And so we're walking down and looking for things, potential gifts for our supporters or some souvenirs to take home. But on these trips, I often engage the shop owners or the store owners or the person that's selling that. On one of my trips, I went up and I worked my way down and I came to this one person. They had a product that I was interested in. And I asked them this question. I asked them in Thai if they knew Yesu Kree. Yesu Kree in the language is Jesus Christ. So I asked them this question to see where they were with Jesus and to see that's a foundation starter to see if they even know Jesus Christ. And so I I looked at the person and I said, do you know Yesu Kree? They looked at me and they nodded their head and and I I said again, do you know Yesu Kree? And they responded back with kind of the picture of Thailand by saying this, he not work here. (laughs) And I said, oh, oh, yes, he does. (laughs) And uh, he's working right now in front of you. (laughs) On one subsequent trip to uh, Cambodia uh, 20 years ago, one of our first trips in, I was on some of the first teams that would take motorcycles and drive out through the villages. This was after Khmer Rouge um, basically murdered the countryside. And we would get on motorcycles in the morning, and then we would head out into the villages with a translator to take the hope of Jesus to these beautiful people Cambodians that had never heard the name Jesus, let alone had ever seen a white man. 
And so on one of my trips, as I was working my way out to the village, I found myself in a hut. Across from me was a woman and her son and the translator and me. And as I sat there, we began to ask, have some conversation and had a translator translate for me. And then I said the name Yesu Cree to this woman that was in this hut. I said Yesu Cree, and I watched her pause. Prior to that moment, she had a real, I would say, a, a look, a scared look on her face. The woes of life had torn on her. Her eyes were, were, were weary, but she invited us in, as is the culture and custom of the Cambodian, just sweet, sweet, precious people, and they fed us. And so she was kind of skeptical of this person that was there, but knew the custom says invite you in. But she had this hard look on her face, the battles of, of, of the Khmer Rouge, trying to survive. And I said the name Yesu Kree, and I watched her turn to the translator and say something in Khmer to the translator. And I turned to the translator, and I said, what did she say? And the translator said to me, she said, what did he say? <laughs> and so he explained in the language, Yesu Kree, Jesus Christ. And what happened next in that hut, I've seen happen in subsequent trips since. Because Jesus' name is the name above all names, and every knee will bow and tongue confess whether they want to or don't want to, to and acknowledge that he is Lord. I watched her respond back, and I said, what'd she say? He said, she said, that's what she's been waiting for. And in this moment of time, in less than a minute, I watched this woman who had never heard the name Jesus Christ bow her heart and to the name of Jesus and trust in him as Lord and Savior because she heard the name of Jesus Christ. And what happened next to her countenance, I can only describe as switch on. I watched her face get bright. I watched her eyes light up in front of me. I watched her whole countenance change because she trusted in the name of Jesus. She didn't need 66 book lesson. She didn't need to me, for me to expound on grace through faith. She heard the name Jesus and she gave her life to Christ. There is only one kind of hope that can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that same kind of hope is available not only to her in Cambodia, but to us here, to those of you online and to other auditoriums, and to every single person in our world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Grab your Bibles, and Paul tries to describe this in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 15 to 20. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. In Colossians 1, you can stand, those of you who are viewing online too, and let's read this together, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You may have a seat. The context of this is Paul is writing primarily from prison. He's not writing this to get a get out of free card, jail card. He's writing this because he knows who Christ is. He knows after being saved on the Damascus Road when he was literally up to that point was telling others to go and murder Christians But on that road, he met Jesus, and it says the scales from his eyes were lifted so that he could see Christ, and he responded in Christ. Now in prison, he's giving this picture of who Jesus is, the one that saved him eternally. I would classify and summarize this paragraph or this pericope this way. Stick with Jesus, for he is God. He's your hope. He's our hope. God is spirit. Sometimes we forget that. And no one has ever seen God. But Paul says this in this passage. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Think about that for a second. When we look or when they looked at Jesus, they saw God. Jesus even said in John 14, verse 19, if you have seen me, and they had many of his colleagues and those that saw him during this time, he said, you have seen the Father. So Paul is saying that the image of God is in front of you. The Greek word used here for image is icon. We understand what an icon is. The Greek icon literally is saying Jesus is the image. He isn't made in the image of, like we are. He is the exact representation of God, the exact imprint Paul is saying that Jesus said. And all that God is, take a look at Jesus. That's who God is. We are made in his image. Jesus is the image. So in other words, when you see Jesus, you see God because He is God. And when you know him personally, like many of us do, he dwells in us. And all that is available in Jesus, think about this again, sometimes we need to rhyme, lives in us because Jesus dwells in us. All the riches found in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3 says, are found in you and me. All the treasures found in Jesus have been inherited by us. Everything that Jesus has, has been handed to us and he dwells. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and Christ dwells in us. Ephesians 1.3 says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places found in Christ. I mean, just stop there and think for a second. That's what we have in Christ. We need to remind ourselves that you might not have felt that way this morning before your three cups of coffee, but the truth is, that's who we are because of Christ living in us. God reveals himself in two ways, and there's these terms in theology that describe these two ways. They're called general and special revelation. 
General revelation reveals God and special revelation reveals God. General revelation refers to the general truths that can be known about God through nature or creation. Things that he's created, we can say, wow, God's revealing himself. There must be a God. That's, the, that's a representation in the nature of God. And so when you see creation, things that are created, God is revealing himself. Jesus is revealing himself. Special revelation, another term that we use in theology, refers to the more specific truths that can be known about God through the supernatural, through miracles, through things that only God can do. General revelation are sunsets. How many times have you seen a sunset and said, there must be a God? (laughs) Through nature, through a storm, through water, through rivers, through plants, the intricacies of a flower, of a tree, You see it, and you know there must be a great designer to that design. I've said I come alive in nature, and by now, 25 years, many of you have been with me along the way, and my wife and our children, and I come alive in nature. And one of the reasons I come alive is because Jesus is speaking to me through nature. I get to see the awe and wonder of God. And that's why I run. 12 months out of the year, some think I'm crazy, but one of the primary reasons, all weather, all temperatures, rain, hail, lightning, snow, and thunder, I'm running. I'm running outside. I don't run with earbuds. I don't want to be distracted by other sounds. I don't need a podcast when I can hear Jesus speaking through his birds and through creation. And when I run, I don't need another message. Jesus is speaking to me through creation. I invite you to try that sometime. Sometimes we feel like we need more distraction in our ears. We need to multitask. Listen, if you want to try multitasking, listen to the multi-voices of God in creation. He is screaming at us. And there are times when I'm running, if it's been a hard day or a hard night, that all those things are left on the trails because Jesus has said, I'm here, I see you, do you hear me? He speaks through creation to us in a beautiful way. It's one of the reasons as we raised our children, we made certain, certain that we spent time in creation. We made certain that we camped. We made certain that we explored. We made certain to limit their time at that time on gaming devices. We were the parent, and so we wanted to help shape them to be like Jesus. I can tell you, even watching Isaiah, I think in yesterday, by God's grace, it was a beautiful day and we watched him graduate. But I remember the days that Isaiah had gr- grew to love and our children love the outdoors now, but he grew to love the outdoors so much that he would stand at the front door as a two-year-old kid and just look outside. And as soon as someone opened the door, he would bolt and run outside. He wanted to be outside because... Creation was calling him. Recent studies with COVID season have revealed this. In regards to the millennial generation and the older generation, people are more depressed right now. They're more apt to process suicide. They're more apt to be dealing with loneliness And the primary reason studies are showing is that they do not spend time outdoors. 
They are locked in their rooms. They are locked to devices. They are locked into screens instead of meeting God in the revelation that reveals himself outdoors. I encourage you as much as you can, take a walk with your bride and groom. Take a walk with your kids. Grab her hand and take a walk. Go for bike rides with your kids. Take a walk in a trail somewhere with someone that's a friend of yours. Push everything out and meet God on the trail. He is speaking and screaming, saying, I see you. I love you. Do you see me? And the primary reason is this. When you lose all of God, you become the God of your life. And that's happened. This generation and the world that we live in lives between walls, sequestered by screens and phones and watches, being pulled in to say, this is where I need to find my hope when hope is in Jesus alone and he is screaming to us through special and general revelation. Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man can come to the Father except through me. Then why will we spend our time trying to find another way when Jesus is the only way. The name of Jesus makes demons shudder and flee and quake. Hundreds of times in ministry over the last 25 years, probably thousands of times, I've received emails or phone calls and conversations that go something like this. I feel so heavy. There's something in my house. It feels dark when I go there, my children are waking up in the middle of the night screaming, telling me there's someone in their room. And if you don't understand the spirit world, that we have a spirit God and we have a spirit enemy, you can quickly dismiss and not give any credence to the enemy who is Satan. And because of Satan, he has sequestered many people into these rooms believing that there's no hope. And so through the years, I've encouraged them Speak the name of Jesus Christ. Read scripture out loud. Turn on worship music. You see, demons quake and shudder at the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because his name is alive and he is alive. I have a friend who has spent a a large part of his life working with college students. And he told me this one occasion, which he's had multiple times, this same scenario, that someone called him and said that there was someone in the dorm that was acting strangely, so strangely that he was similarly out of his mind. And the students were fearful of him and his condition and his, even in his position that he was in. So my friend walked in, they invited him in, and he sat down with this young man. And he said this man had to stare that was looking straight off, and he soon realized from experience that this man was being oppressed by some demonic forces. But he knew that the answer was in a person called Jesus Christ. Yet this young man, a college student, had pulled himself away and began toiling in things he shouldn't have been toiling in, found himself being locked and oppressed by demons. 
And so my friend who is wise beyond his years and has been a mentor of mine for many, many years said, I knew I needed him to say the name Jesus Christ or Jesus. But I knew that he wouldn't say it because he was being oppressed by demonic forces. So he said, I did this after talking to him and seeing his condition and praying for him, realizing that he needed the hope of Jesus. He said, I figured I'd break the name down into two pieces. So I asked him to say what I was saying. He said, so I spelled J-E-S and said to this young college student, can you say J-E-S? What does that spell? And this young college student said, Jesus. So he said, say it again. What's it say? Kind of looked at him and he said, Jesus. So he said, what does U-S spell? And he said, he finally said, us. He said, say it again, us. He says, now put those two phrases or words together. And he said, finally, this college student said, Jesus. He said, now say it multiple times. Jesus, Jesus. He said, what happened next in that room was nothing short of Jesus invading the room. He said, he watched the man's countenance change. He watched him seemingly locked up in oppression, just be set free. Why? Because of the name of Jesus was spoken. You see, demons flee at his name. And along the years, as I have encouraged people, I always say, walk through your house and bless your home in the name of Jesus. As the spiritual leader, husbands, it's something you should do daily. Walk through your home and pray through the rooms and ask that Jesus would reside and his blessing would be upon it. But why? Because Jesus is the hope of the world. Every need, even Satan and his demons, must flee at the name of Jesus. Now listen, if you walked into that room and said, Jim, 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 nothing would happen. <laughs> and if you walked in the room and said, Anthony, 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 dar, dar, dar. Now, great people who love Jesus, but it'd be the same as saying Jim. But when you say the name Jesus, Demons quake. Why? Because they know who Jesus is. Paul says that Jesus is the special revelation of God. Augustine said this many years ago. He said, all of creation is God's smile towards us. God's good gifts. Gifts that draw us to him. All that you love in nature points you to Jesus. Listen to that again. It's beautiful. Augustine said, all of creation is God's smile towards us. Good gifts. Gifts that draw us to him. All that you love in nature points you to Jesus. A tree, an animal, a plant, a trail, a ripple in the water, a rainbow, a strike of lightning is a smile from God. It's a gift from him that says, I see you and I'm here. Is it no wonder that those of us who get in creation come alive every time I'm out after a run, I'm refreshed and ready, not just because I put the miles in, but because God has revealed himself through nature to me. On my hand, I have a, a ring. 
And in our world, it means I'm married. It means I'm not available. My wife wears a ring and it says she's not available. Can I just speak pretty pointedly? If you're married and don't wear your wedding band, get one now. And if you're saying, well, my hand has swollen, my finger has swollen, get a bigger one. Why? It tells the world what? It says, I'm taken. I'm not available. Guys are putting their hands in their pockets right now. See ya. I'm not available. Listen to me. This ring isn't valuable to me at all. But what it points to is very valuable. It's a good gift that says, Annie Catherine Brown. This ring points to the gift that I received when she said, yeah, let's do this. This ring points to 33 years of a precious gift from God. It's not the ring that I'm enamored with, it's the woman that it points to. You see, that's what creation, I don't fall in love with a plant. It's not like, oh, I love this plant. Oh, I love this water. No, it's a marker, an image of Jesus. It points me to him. It's special revelation from him. Paul said this then, look how he describes, he says that Jesus is the firstborn. Another way of saying that, he's in the position of firstborn. The Jehovah Witness will take this passage, and I've sat with them, and they would say, well, then that says that Jesus is a created person. Thus, he can't be God if he's created. But that's not what the context nor the translation would say. Yes, there are firstborn children. We have one. His name is Josh. By the way, when you refer to your children, don't say my children because none of your children were virgin born. There was someone else that helped out. It's our children. So anyhow, try to speak in that language. But our children, our firstborn was Josh. In other words, he was first created. Yet this context here means preeminent position Jesus is. David was called firstborn in Psalm 89, 27. Yet he wasn't firstborn. Preeminent means having paramount rank, dignity, or importance, outstanding, supreme. In other words, Paul is saying Jesus is the chief, head, master over all creation. Jesus is the north point of your compass. When I was a kid, one of the things we had to learn to do was actually use a compass. Anybody ever had to use a compass and figure it out? They're not easy to understand. In fact, they would put us in the woods when we'd go camping. They'd give you a flashlight at nighttime, and they'd give you coordinate points that you had to find, but you were completely lost unless you could find north. And once you found north and knew where north was, you could work and navigate your way. If you don't set your compass right, Paul is saying, then you will lose your bearings. When you find north, you can go anywhere. If you get Jesus right, then everything else is taken care of. Today, we would say, we would, if we can talk to Siri you will get home most of the time well. 
I have a friend that serves on a national board with me and she came to a new city and she tells us this story. It's a fascinating story. She said she went to her job, her first job that, or new job, and she went to the new job. She had never really explored the city, but it was lunchtime, so she wanted to go get something to eat. So she searched on her phone for her favorite restaurant. She found it. She hopped in her car and told her how far away. So she drove to the restaurant. She was eating lunch and she didn't really, she wasn't familiar with the city, but she just knew that Siri would get her there. And she said, She was ready to go back, so she punched back in the coordinate points or the name of the business that she was working at, and on her way back, there were one-way streets, and on the way there were one-way streets, but on her way back, there was all kinds of a construction that she wasn't aware of, and it was so bad that she was starting to wonder if she was going to be able to get back because there there were streets that were blocked, and finally, literally, Siri told her to do this, park your car and walk. But the problem was, she didn't know where she was. Nor did she hardly know anyone. So she says, I'm standing. I don't know where I'm standing. I lost my north point. And she said, I had no idea. I was dependent on Siri. She said, so I called my HR manager who had hired me and said, I don't know where I'm at. And so the HR manager said to her, well, look around. What do you see? So she described, I see this building. I said, well, she said, you know where you're at? She says, no, I don't. I wouldn't be calling you. (laughs) You're 300 feet from the business. So just walk down this block and turn down this block. She lost her direction because her mooring point of hope in Siri was broken because the road was blocked. Paul says, make Jesus your mooring point. He is the point of reference. When you have lost your way, can't find your way, or have chosen to throw away your life, Jesus can show you the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is also the mastermind of creation. Look at verse 16. Look what it says in 16. It says, for in him and all... And in, in, in him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You've got to ask this question. What part of all is an all? <laughs> heaven and earth, visible and invisible. People often ask, where did the world come from? There is such intricate design to creation There must be a designer. I was reading again this week, and this author tried to describe our planet and the intricacies of our planet. Just listen to his description of what God has created and what Jesus has created. He says, we live in a planet that is perfect for human life. You think you're pretty stable and stationary sitting there today. Well, you are neither. You are currently doing 30 kilometers per second and spinning at up to 1,700 kilometers per hour. Some of us feel that way, don't we? And yet this is totally required for sustaining life. He says, in fact, scientists tell us about the fine-tuning of the universe and especially the fine-tuning of planet Earth within the universe. 
As a quick example, they tell us that our planet is situated in the Goldilocks zone. That is, the zone that is not too hot and not too cold. It's just right. If we were a few percentages further or closer to the sun, no life could exist. We are just in the right spot. But that is only one of the hundreds of factors. It turns out that everything is just right. There are so many constants that they have to be exactly as they are for life to exist, including the force of gravity, the oxygen-nitrogen ratio, the distance and size of the moon, and the force of electromagnetic fields, and the tilt of the earth, and the location and age of the sun. This author says, mathematically taken as a whole, it means that it doesn't matter how large the universe is, it can't just happen by chance. There are too many factors involved. It all screams out there is a wonderful designer behind it all. Spurgeon, theologian and pastor from the past, said this in regards to the planet and DNA. He said, these things, as mind-boggling as they are, are only but a whisper of his power. The real miracle and wonder of God is the miracle of the new birth. Whatever the work of God that you take time to study is a wonder all of itself, but none of it comes close to what God has done in the heart of man. Study that work and you will find it be perfect as well and miraculous. One day, Spurgeon says, we will know. One day you will see all that God did to draw you and change your heart. We will grasp it all. We see dimly today. We will see and know even as we are seen and known. That's Jesus. (laughs) He is the hope of the world. We can cling all of our hope in him. You see, if something is created, it belongs to the creator. It exists for the creator. It returns to the creator. It's the possession of the creator, and it will give account to the creator. Jesus created all. And, if, and since he is, we should turn to him for any kind of hope that we need. Paul then says this in verse 17. Look at 17. He says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He has no beginning. Jesus has no beginning and end. He was here before the virgin birth. He's the alpha and omega. He was slain before the foundation of the world. This is one of the clearest statements about Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is eternal. He's not a created being. Satan is a created being. Think about this for a second if you can. Darkness and evil will not prevail. Jesus wins and wins convincingly, but be forewarned, he is crafty at what he does. The story is told of many rock and roll stars from the early 60s and 70s and some in the 80s who sold their soul to Satan so that they could have success on earth. Let me just say this today. There is nothing, nothing, nothing at all that compares to what Christ can give. No possession, no achievement, no recognition, no ownership, nothing or position is worth selling your soul to Satan when you can have 
everything in Christ. Nothing. Satan is a great deceiver. Jesus holds all things together. What does that mean, he holds it together? That means if he let loose right now, we would be in big, big trouble, as my niece would say to my dad, Pappy Brown, you're in big, big trouble. We would be in big, big, big trouble too. Not only did he create it, but he sustains it. And if he ever let go, we would all be in big trouble just because you have lost control of a relationship, just because you no longer have the lead role, just because it feels like life is a total wreck and spinning out of control. Always remember, God is in complete control of your life. I was reminded of that yesterday as we spent time in Winona Lake. It's a near and dear place to Aunt for Ann and I and our children. All of our children have graduated from Grace College, as have my wife and I, and I graduated from Grace Seminary. Our son-in-law has graduated from Grace College too. They got a lot of our money. But, but the truth is this. It was time to reflect and reminisce. You see, in 1986, I made my way there and my wife made her way there. And as I made my way there, I was in a hard spot in my life. My heart was broken that summer by a gal who broke an engagement that I thought we would end up married and do ministry together. And to be quite frank with you, I didn't want anything to do with girls. They were the worst thing on planet Earth at that time. But I knew for the sake of healing, I shouldn't spend time pursuing or dating. So as I pulled into Grace College, I came in with a mixed bag of emotion, excited but hurt, not knowing a soul other than her, pulling away from my family for the very first time, finding myself on a campus that I wasn't familiar with, filling out forms that I had never filled out before, but knowing that God had called me there. And I remember as I was there crying out to Jesus, Jesus, I'm in a hard place, but I heard your voice that said, Jim, go. Because I recall that weekend at the beach where I took a notepad and on one side I wrote all the pros of going to college and all the cons of, of going to college or all the reasons to stay home. And so I spent that weekend praying and writing down. And to be quite frank, the pros to go outweighed the pros to stay. And so I left, packed full with everything I had. And yesterday, it was a great reminder because I remember being on the knees of my apartment as an older freshman, crying out to God and saying, God, I don't know what's in store, but I trust you. I don't know anyone here, but I trust you. I believe I heard your voice, and I know, God, you are faithful. And as Isaiah, the name Isaiah Jacob Brown was called by the provost at Grace College yesterday, it was a full cycle of answered 35 years of God's faithfulness. Jim? I hold it all together. Jim, if you trust in me, I'll do great and unsearchable things that you aren't even aware of. And you know what? He did. Jesus is the hope of the world. He holds it together.
together. During COVID, my primary desire was this, as I led Grace Community Church, was for you to know that Jesus is in full control. And I wanted you to know that he's got this. <laughs> that no matter what you read, or no matter what you see, or no matter what you feel, and no matter what is thrown your way, Jesus is still holding it together. And we stand here today as a testament to his holding things together. And we stand here today and say, Jesus holds it all together. He had me in his hands. Amen? Amen. That's the picture. Jesus has the right answer for every situation you and I will ever encounter. Verse 18 says he's the head of the church. Think about that for a second. The head gives all the directives of your life. It makes the decisions. We even say things like he lost his head or he's out of his mind. (laughs) My Bible tells us this, that we can make decisions because we have the mind of Christ. The same head that directs us, directs the world. Everything we do comes from thinking in our minds. A lot of people have lost their minds this past year, but if we cling to Jesus, hear me out, and have the mind of Christ, we have no reason to fret or worry or lose sleep because my Bible says he holds it all together. We sometimes think Jesus doesn't know what's best for us, don't we? We pray and we ask him things, yet when he doesn't answer the way that we want, we get angry or upset or frustrated. We vent on social media often. Jesus knows what is best and he's in complete control of our life. If you can settle that control issue in your life, I'm telling you, there is peace that passes all understanding. And all seemingly hell could be breaking loose around you and you can stand in the midst with peace because you know who your savior is. Paul said this in Romans 9 in verse 20. It's It's a different translation, but I love the translation. He said this, who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? (laughs) Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it saying, why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a vase for holding flowers and another into a pot for cooking beans? You see, I choose and hopefully you will too to trust him because my life is a testimony of the goodness of God. All my life, every second, every minute, every hour, every, every day, every month, every year, my God has been faithful to me. And he will be faithful to you. Jesus never fails. And because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. Paul says in verse 18, Jesus is alive. He's not just back from the dead, hear me out, but he's alive. He died and now he's alive. 
No one else does that or did that. We don't worship a dead God. We have a living God that's holding it all together. And Jesus is unmatched in power and authority. Paul says he's the fullness of God. In other words, all that's in God is in him. He's the icon. He is the exact representation of God. Jesus said on numerous occasions that he is God. In fact, he said it so often that they chose to kill him. But always remember this. They killed him because he said he was God and he came back to life and said, I told you so. (laughs) That's who we worship, amen? (laughs) Amen. That's the savior that we have. Jesus Christ is in a category all by himself. Paul wraps up this small section by saying this in verse 20, and maybe this will give you hope today. Jesus can restore what is broken and stolen. He reconciles things that are broken. He brings beauty from the ashes, hope to the hopeless, peace to the brokenhearted, salvation to the lost, and love to the orphaned and widow. And whenever you feel uncertain, broken, lost, confused, interrupted, isolated, down, scared, sad, lonely, disappointed, or hopeless, Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus loves you. I would sing as a kid, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He's a good God. I will always sing of the goodness of God because all of my life, all of my days, my Savior has been faithful. There's a beautiful writing that was captured by someone who took the 66 books of the Bible. And in this writing, they referred to Jesus in each book of the Bible. And as I read this to you, I want to just let this kind of wash over you with the truth of Jesus constant showing up and revealing himself and saying, I'm here, I was there, I haven't left. And to remind you that even today, no matter where you find yourself, and listen, life is hard sometimes, but Jesus promises to be close to the brokenhearted. Listen to the books of the Bible and how Jesus showed up in each book. In Genesis, he's the ram at the Abraham's altar. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of our refuge. In Joshua, he's the Rahab's scarlet thread. In Judges, he's our judge. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful servant. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuild of everything broken. In Esther, he's Mordecai sitting faithful at the gate. In Job, he's our redeemer that forever lives. In Psalms, he's my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the bridegroom. In Isaiah, 
He's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentation, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's our forever faithful love. In Joel, he's our baptizer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our savior. In Jonah, he's the great foreign missionary that takes the word of God into the world. In Micah, he's our messenger with winged feet. In Nahum, he's our avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the watchman praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the son of the living God. In Mark, he's our miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the door by which everyone must enter. In Acts, he's the shining light that appeared to Saul on the Damascus road. In Romans, he's our justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he's our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he's our sin bearer. In Galatians, he's our redeemer of the law. In Ephesians, he's our unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the supplier of our need. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the Lord that heals the sick. In 1 and 2 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 1, 2, and 3 John, he's our tenderness of love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 saints. And in Revelation, lift your eyes, church, for your redemption draweth nigh. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, Jesus is all that we need. Amen, amen, amen.